You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm one of your hosts, Dimitri Vitsa. And I'm Tristan Neuer Jaeger. I am the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors. And I am the Chief Strategy Officer of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We're the music tech and music and innovation PR firm that's also behind the Music Tectonics Conference and a company that I've been following for quite a, a while, I, I think it's probably 15 years, um, is SoundCloud. I went to a hackathon they did uh, e- eons ago and actually integrated their product into a startup I had. It was a whole different era. And so much has changed with SoundCloud. Um, and I've been super excited to see the evolutions. And, and we thought it would be great to have uh, Mike Pachinski, the VP of strategy at SoundCloud, on the podcast. And that's who we have with us in person right now. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited okay. to be here. Yeah. So, Trista, why don't you kick us off? Sure. So SoundCloud recently announced a new feature allowing artists to message directly to their fans. How does this differ from what SoundCloud has long had in place? So the one main main lane way it differs is that the fan is surfaced based on fan-powered royalties. Oh, that's interesting. So the, the way that the tool is showing fans and fandom is actually if they're a high contributor, which is based on the royalty model, which mm-hmm. we can dive into with more detail, general engagement which obviously is plays but socials like reposting tracks comments likes some of the more native things of soundcloud and then general just where they reside on the platform how they engage with the artist any other kind of funky engagement um, metrics but the two focal ones are those socials and the foundation is their fpr contribution the money that's really interesting. So artists can really home in on who who's there, not only listening to them the most enthusiastically, but also supporting them. Yeah. So if you, if you think about it, and when everyone talks about the user-centric models, which fan-powered royalties is, everyone says, well, you know, it's a, is it a zero-sum game? Is there a value prop outside of just moving money around? This is it. Interesting. When people say... Uh, who are on the side of user-centric say that it's more fair and transparent. This is the transparent part. That's really interesting because I, I know there were some reports that were asking some questions early on when I think it was a French study started looking at this and said, well, is, are, we just moving, are we just moving the deck chairs around? But what you're saying is the real potential is, is starting to, to con- connect payments and, um, and fandom, uh, the enthu- you know the parasocial relationships that people are forming, it and making them two ways, right? So artists yeah. can message people back. I mean, p- fans can message artists back. Excuse me. Exactly, and it's a one-to-one, two-directional capability of basically to simplify it. I, as a music super fan of someone on SoundCloud, just by listening to them, loving their music, I'll be seen by my favorite artist. All right, I want to ask you. So there's kind of like the the direct description of how this happens that we've now gotten into a little bit. But how do you think this will change the dynamic between mm-hmm. artists and fans? I mean, it's been a for a while, early days. I mean, I kind of think SoundCloud was kind of like the most social mm-hmm. um, streaming platform, and a lot of other streaming platforms have played with social things. They took most of them out. I don't know. It seems yep. like we've sort of in general, and this is not about any particular company, but, but, as a, uh, but as a whole, sort of neutered that social experience <laughs> in a lot of ways. But this, is a, this isn't even just, not just social, it's, it's this dynamic. How do, you, how do you think it's going to change the dynamic? So the one thing actually 
when we were even building out and architecting the user-centric model, the one thing we had to first prove is, is the DNA of SoundCloud, meaning its audiences, the type that would support that model? And then to this point, the fan tool, which was the long-term vision of four, five, three years of, of working on this, are the people that listen, that socially lean in, because they're mostly lean-in listeners on SoundCloud as opposed to a lot of lean-back listeners on other platforms. That was the that was the key piece of DNA of SoundCloud and the audiences that make the tool, the model really thrive and really give that value to the creators and the fans. Um, all by just simply listening to music the way you do, however you engage with music. So the, the, the social is a huge context to it, but the music listening and consumption is the core principle behind all of that. I want to I want to back up just a little bit. We make uh, we make a lot of assumptions about who's listening to the podcast, and I always like to kind of widen out. How do you describe the user centric or fan powered payout as you talk about it? I would say to, to a lay person because we have a diversity of listeners. And and what's mm -hmm. that? And, and you started to talk about the connection between that and the direct to fan messaging. It's it's basically what it's basically what most listeners think how it operates. You think you pay. Nine ninety nine a month. You listen to thirty artists, and you believe that that nine ninety nine is going to those thirty artists because that's what you're doing. That's what you who you're listening to. That's user centric in a nutshell, and people mostly think that's how it operates. But uh, for anyone that doesn't know, pro rata, so proration based, market share based, is how we actually in the streaming industry, for the most part, in the status quo, pay artists, and that's that's the real key difference. There is a direct connection between my revenue say the subscription or advertising that i generate and those specific artists that i listen to so that direct connection becomes even actually more valuable in some respects than the royalties themselves because it actually starts telling the story of who my fans are by that simple relationship of knowing my money goes directly to those artists that i listen to yeah, that's that's super interesting. I mean, it's almost like a uh, in email marketing they talk about segmentation. So mm -hmm. in a way, it's 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 a it's a data driven way to do more of that. Exactly. So are the are the fan centric payouts compared to pro rata approaches? Is it technically more difficult? Yes and no. The simplicity of having revenue go directly to who you listen to. The concept is simple. But what you end up doing is every platform has an event for every play. Every platform documents every single play from every single person by every dimension of territory, tier, and all that. So in reality, it's, it's really just aggregating all that data and using that as a means of calculation as opposed to creating a calculation for every piece of content for every rights holder. So it's really moving away from pro rata, which you start at a headline. Everyone starts with a headline uh, amount of revenue and it goes down a chain of calculations where this is doing the inverse you just started every single user every single event and you go down to the fine point of that user's contribution to that single artist or rights holder and that's where it really is actually we improved our calculation in terms of system we went from about 23 to 24 hours of calculating the entire global repertoire and artists and, and rights holder space so basically a business day down to 30 minutes um, so the efficiency is there because it's just logical. You're tracking and, and documenting that anyway. Um, but we had the we had the the luck that our engineering team built our previous models and tools and calculators all in house. So we had the ability for me to play kitchenette and play with all that with all the team and the PMs that were involved. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get too deep into the technical aspects, and that's probably not you know not where we want to go. But yeah. I am curious how 
you see that model evolving? And and are there are like do you have some ideas in mind as you look forward how you could improve the way the system works to mm-hmm. make it even more artist friendly, um, to deliver things even better for the artists or for fans? Absolutely, I think this is the um, the way that we've been looking at this, and, and folkly the way I saw this resetting the bedrock and resetting the bedrock for, from pro rata, which is starkly different and very prone to being gamed to user centric, which really curbs a, a huge portion of gaming. That's so, really interesting. So I think that part of your question is as that uh, capability of fraud evolves, the model has to evolve. And I think the other thing is also the reward system for fandom. The focus is less so scale by moving to this bedrock. It's more about the quality than the quantity. Every play is worth something different. And that, I think, is the bedrock to then all of a sudden move into the next paradigm. Because then we start to figure out, okay, now no two plays are the same. They're essentially snowflakes. So now every, every listener and every fan are of a different value. And that's when you start to look at the portfolio of everything and start to think, where do we go from here? But we won't know until the culture changes, which is the fan community has to realize the impact that they're making or they're not making or even if they care. And I think that's the part that has to start shaping itself. It does change the mindset. I mean, yeah. we see this huge resurgence in vinyl. We had this yes. this NFT moment where there was this other whole new category that was coming out there that regardless of what you think about what the value of an NFT is or whether it lasts or whatever mm-hmm. else, it showed that people wanted to have a direct interaction to influence artists' careers and success. To sort of like, it's a like button that has money behind it in a lot of ways. It, yeah. And, and I could imagine the psychology of listeners and fans is going to change once they realize they're about to start doing some work and they want some music to work with or they're cooking and they want some music to cook with or or they're running or they just want to put on a jam or whatever it is they want to get pumped up to go out for the night whatever it is instead of being like i'm going to search for a playlist they're going to say maybe i'll actually go directly to what i want because i want to i kind of want to do this monetized like button exactly and and what ends up happening is you also start to go into the, the the question of where do I do my, my music listening or my music interacting? Maybe I'm, go- and most people use multiple platforms. So one thing that, uh, that uh, SoundCloud's really positioned is we're complementary to many of the other services. We have content that they don't have. We have artists living on our platform that they don't have. And that's actually where it's really interesting to your point that maybe you do your Walmart shopping somewhere else, but you do your boutique and you know, kind of indie darling or whatever that you're in love with somewhere else so that that's the other concept too that i think people that part of culture has to then start to evolve after we sediment this um and i think that is something that only starts to happen with this tool this tool is when you start to realize you're actually seeing me my favorite artist for the first time by me just listening to your music that's just step number one after four years of trying to get here when that connection happens is when people start to realize wow this is different do I actually value this or do I not? And if I do, what else can I do? That's when you go into that space that you were just going into. If that artist says, you know what, I'm actually going to be heavily leaning into Web3. Can you adopt a wallet? This means something to me. I want to bring you along for this journey. That's what we're doing. We're, we're taking the Web2 to the Web2.5 to maybe get take it to 3 if that matters for that artist or that community or that fan. Yeah. And it's interesting how you kind of had to change the foundation of the actual business model for the artist to get there. And I think that's kind of your original point here. Yes. It, it, it's almost actually the other thing to call out, too, is um, and I, I'd love to break this debate debate about who benefits financially and who doesn't. 
if all of a sudden I know, and this is a, a number, um, there was a superstar artist that 6.5% of this artist's whole audience was generating 72% of their payout in the new model. In the immediacy, you want to say, who are those 6.5% people? They are so devo devoted to me. Their listener share, not market share, their individual listener share is so focused on me. These are the people that will buy my tickets, my merch, or adopt the wallet. So that's really the, the thing. Even if maybe financially it doesn't pan out for you yet because you have to shift your, your thinking to fan adoption and development thinking. Less so, I need to just build my quantity. I need to build scale. And that doesn't necessarily translate to art. Mm. Yeah, that's that is a mind shift there. What I'm curious, we have the the user centric model, or, or as you guys call it, fan powered uh, payouts or royalties, um, and then and now we have this this direct messaging thing. Uh, the 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 fan powered piece you guys have been doing for a little over a year. The the direct messaging component is brand new. Is it too early to to, to talk about what kind of reactions you're getting from artists and listeners? No, actually, the, the, the beta has been in flight for about, I'd say, almost two months now. Uh, we've just expanded it over the last few weeks to 50,000-plus 50 creators now are, are using the, the tool. Um, and that spans everyone from, from Warner Artists. Uh, we're just, we just finished our deal with Merlin, so the whole member, membership of Merlin is going to be on the model and also access to this, to this tool. One of the most interesting uh, cases was... Um, Doc Cromwell, he's he's a he's a great 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 creator who's very he's very native to SoundCloud and we have a close relationship with him. He actually during the demo started using the tool and he actually in the moment just said, "Screw it, I'm just going to message this user I could see right here." Message them, thank them, and they started actually going back and forth to the point that that day he that person went back and streamed his entire body of work, I think like 60 plus times. Just by that, oh my gosh! And then, and that just is by commitment right there. And just having, <laughs> and just having that small interaction created a relationship that now they're they're talking to each other. He's getting feedback from this top fan about the next demo that he's about to finalize into a release. So these are, there's a lot of those scenarios. And then the other thing that's really interesting is there's not just the fan and artist creator dynamic. There, many fans themselves are creators. And we've actually seen one case where uh, uh, the artist reached out to the fan. Turns out that the other person was a creator, and they actually started working on a collaboration. That is so cool. So that's another. It, there's, there's just we really are excited to see the cultural impact of this, on top of everything else that we've been talking about. That was that was part of what I was really hoping to ask you to um, was sort of almost the aesthetics of all this, right? We mm -hmm. talk a lot about the the business side, which is important, but how are you imagining? I mean, it's impossible to predict exactly how this is going to pan out, but your stories really illustrate how this could be a real boon for artists as well. I think a lot of times people are creating in isolation or maybe they have a small scene around them, but they, they I, I think a lot of us are always longing to get more inspiration, to hear back from people who, whom we've moved. Mm -hmm. So I, I was wondering how you're thinking about that and if you have any any thing you can tell us uh, about how, where you're seeing that going in terms of the artistic or creative side? So I think the next natural step after, so again, I think I mentioned the bedrock, resetting the economic bedrock to meet the innovation the last 10 plus years. So we reset that with fan-powered royalties. The next piece was giving fans and artists insights to each other. So this tool is not even just insights, it's a connective connectivity mechanism. It's really just to connect you to each other. The third pillar is essentially community. 
to then find each other and then be able to actually invite each other to maybe another arena, another forum, another community that you can then have a bigger experience. And that's the natural next step. How we go about that, we're thinking about it, we're working through it, and then obviously we're actually, people can literally say, hey, you're a huge fan, come to my Discord server, come to Patreon, come to, you know, literally they're finding their homes to be modular about how they operate and, and really own their audience and their community, but community is most definitely the next step. Um, and again, the other thing to tie back, which is I want to emphasize, is this goes all the way back to your bottom line. Unlike the other model, it goes back to how you make the majority of your payouts because you're still connecting with those fans. They lean in more, and over time, you're actually going back to that flywheel, that first pillar. You're making more money from those fans, and you're growing the, the, that fandom. You're fattening the head of fandom, essentially. And, and that, that's really what's happening here. Super cool. All right, we have to take a quick break for an announcement. And when we come back, I want to ask you a little bit, maybe rewind a little bit, ask you about sort of like the, the phases that SoundCloud has been through. Hmm. We'll be right back. Hey, Dimitri here. I want to give you a quick update on what we're planning for the 2023 Music Tectonics Conference, October 24th, 25th, and 26th in Santa Monica, California. Meng Ru Kwok, CEO of BandLab, will kick off the conference with a keynote. He's got a unique global perspective on how the convergence of music creator tools with the music industry is already shaping the future. I can feel my mind expanding whenever I hear him speak, and I'm so excited to have him set the tone at Music Tectonics this year. The speaker roster keeps growing at musictectonics.com. We're gathering music tech investors from firms like Sony Ventures, Plus 8 Equity Partners, and Waverly Capital, and big thinkers from Spotify, Tidal, Splice, Lander, Billboard, and more. Hey, you're listening to this podcast. Don't you think you should be there too? Get your early bird ticket at musictectonics.com. See you in Santa Monica. Okay, we're back. I want to rewind a bit because SoundCloud has pivoted a few times since it launched. I remember, as I mentioned at the top of the show, meeting some of the founders and early hires at an, uh, a hackathon. I think it was an Echo Nest hackathon, actually, probably 14 years ago. And oh, back, wow. yeah, and, and it was super cool to see it happen because back then SoundCloud was touted as like quote the YouTube of audio, and I was like, is that is that a thing? Is that gonna be a thing? Like it was so early, and it and it, <laughs> and it was being used by artists and bands to host audio content, kind of like Drop way before Dropbox, but like it, it was. Sort of like a hosted service in a way, but it was also used by, like by a lot of radio journalists and news programs, kind of like an alternative to podcasts in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, it went from, I guess, being that sort of free freemium hosting platform to one that had premium paid features. Then at some point, it became more of a subscription music service, a streaming service, and then a distributor. So sorry to sorry to go back in like decades here, but how does this all fit together? And what is SoundCloud now? Are you a DSP or are you a distributor? So I think the evolution to try to to tightly answer that big broad question is it's always has been an open big platform. It will always be that big open big platform for culture to find real estate to really put itself in front of people that care about what they do or try to find people that care about what they do. Within that whole platform is the DSP context. There's also creator tools within that. So these are, these are other pieces that have evolved into the larger thing that is SoundCloud. Some people use it as a DSP. They pay, and that's the monetized part of the, of the... They want more content. They want all that you know premium content. And some people come for that. Some purely come as, say, I'll go even as 
find out as a DJ. A DJ wants to have somewhere to put their mixes, and that's how they see SoundCloud. So it has many faces, but ultimately it is a, a capture-all for creators, and specifically, obviously, for, for music, um, with a huge focus on music. Back then, I think there was also a lot of audio, non-music happening, but a lot of just generally the culture shaped itself around music and creators in that space, and it's it's still it's still that bigger... I think we're at 320 million tracks. It's still growing, so the, by far the biggest um, catalog of music. So it's it's something that um, it just keeps growing, and we keep moving in that direction. So I know you're I know you're a big thinker, and you you kind of keep about you think about the whole industry and 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 culture beyond uh, SoundCloud as well. Mm-hmm. Some other services have combined fan listening with distribution to other platforms. Of course, I'm thinking of. Oh, yes. TikTok and Spotify, and it seems that uh, Spotify maybe reversed course. And I'd wondered if other DSPs would not want to accept submissions from a competitor. So this is so this is a great question, and and part of that creator tool side that I mentioned, one piece of that is distribution. So these creators that live and breathe on SoundCloud, they start finding their their audiences and they're finding their voice on SoundCloud. They have the opportunity to just distribute this all to all other DSPs and other platforms directly from that one stop shop. Of, of SoundCloud, but what's really interesting is that we've had conversations with other, other DSPs, and the truth of the matter is that there was one DSP that we were talking to that the what's next in music slogan that we have on SoundCloud, it truly holds, because if it, if it basically incubates and still lives, and that fandom will always still be there, that artist is really just distributing this content to another platform that it's probably little have a little bit of a delay for that audience to get around to what that artist is or what the community or scene they're a part of. So it's really you're exporting something that's still of value to other DSPs because there's another audience there that actually maybe is not native and doesn't thrive and live on SoundCloud. So it really is connectivity in a way that you're not really competing going back to that complementary part that I was talking about of the SoundCloud community and the platform itself. Well, you, I, you've almost answered part of my next question, okay. <laughs> which is how does SoundCloud differentiate as a music streaming service when it comes to fans? Mm-hmm. And obviously with so many tracks and, and this kind of creator community, that orientation, which I think comes from the origins of SoundCloud, that's mm-hmm. a piece of it. But um, I'm curious if you have other thoughts on, on that differentiation. I think it goes back to the to the just the, the listeners, the music lovers. It, it, they just use SoundCloud differently. And when you look at statistics, and I think um, Midia did some some coverage on this recently, uh, the the proportion of lean-in listeners on SoundCloud index is higher than most other platforms, than the lean-back. Um, our listeners are younger, the younger demographic. So, and again, it's it's really that that context from a let's just say in the industry side for for a rights holder, a partner, or an artist, or a label. That means something to them. They, they think of our platform differently from that context, commercially and business-wise. And then from just a consumer music lover, also they come knowing that I'm going to look, I use you as a discovery tool. I want to find something that I won't find somewhere else. Or I know what I love. I love DJ mixes. This is where I come from, my DJ mixes. Amazing. So SoundCloud, you know, for those of us who are old enough to remember this, had its own sound in the past that was associated with it early on. But... I'm curious from your perspective, what sounds are surfacing in the community now? What um, what kind of stuff are you guys seeing that you're like, or listening to that you're like, wow, that's really, really interesting and specific and cool. So one of the things, uh, and I don't think I'm, I'm sharing any secret sauce because I think it came out in a <laughs> Billboard article about a year ago. 
um, Eli, our now CEO, he he touched on this, which is we have we have this capability of of essentially look. We have a creator network map, mm-hmm. and what's really fascinating is we can see a scene bubbling up. And actually, most of any any of us can actually go look at hashtags because there's hashtags that you yeah. can click on a hashtag of a track and that takes you down a rabbit hole of a scene that created itself and it tagged itself. So there's one that's really fascinating. I'm just going to throw it out there from, from Vietnam called Vina House, V-I-N-A House. And I won't ruin it. Go check it out. <laughs> click on the hashtag. Dive in. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> and it's just one of those things that's really fascinating. It's very concentrated. It's mm. totally like geographically locked. And it's starting. You see it starting to spread because people are just discovering a new form of music. It's a new, new-ish genre. But it's, it's things like that that there's huge amounts of scenes like that that are happening. Amazing. Um, that have the, the ability to, to do that without having to. They could do it on SoundCloud. That is so cool. So you've always been at the edge of where creation and listening converge. What does that edge look like right now? How are you saying, we, we talked about this a little bit um, with some of your examples of fans who are also creators and these connections and how that kind of increases this amazing ability to collaborate. Mm. How Are you seeing any, anything new or particularly intriguing or just kind of exciting in that place where creation and enjoyment of music meet? One of the things that's really interesting that we're seeing is is EDM at, at large just really blowing up. And it's always been a huge, strong community on SoundCloud. But there's something going on in that space in particular that comes to mind with that question, That especially in the UK uh, space, in that general area, that there's a lot of new experimentation. There's the next generation that's kind of taking shape in that new era of music. And even bringing back other genres, like drum and bass is coming back with full force. And like things of that nature that, not just the Vena Houses and all those other scenes, but even bringing back that with a new era, with a new a new class of artists and creators that are coming about. So it's it's really interesting to just even sometimes even just be informed of that where you see the community showing SoundCloud um, what's happening and what's growing. Awesome. I'm curious. So we've talked a lot about the company and the culture and how it all fits together. Um, but let's talk about you. What's your role at the company <laughs> and what are your favorite parts of the work you do? I mean, it seems like a blast to me and, and like all this innovation is, is amazing. I'm sure you're having a blast, but we'd love to hear from you what you like and, and what you do there. I think, I, I mean, the opportunity. I think SoundCloud is really well positioned, not just by this, its technology, its history, its evolution, but the way it's used by its community, the arts, the 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 scenes. I think that and it creates so much commercial opportunity, but also creative opportunity. Um, so I, I'm I'm a vice president of strategy at SoundCloud, looking after essentially the fan and creator economies, licensing. Um, product innovation and new business and uh, fan powered royalties and this fans tool are, are my babies that uh, myself and a very small group of people that were working on it when we architected and conceived these these concepts that really is what really gravitates myself and the teams that worked on all this to not only work at SoundCloud but really not jump ship because it's just continually you see the evolution the next potential thing that we can grow on that hasn't been charted yet um, a lot of challenges, obviously some of it's industry related, but a lot of good relationships, a lot of uh, people are, you know, around that actually are being really supportive of what we're trying to do. And I think it's really just trying to see where the opportunity is that maybe some haven't seen or haven't been willing to, to poke at. But that's really what's, what's kept a lot of the good people at SoundCloud. Yeah, amazing. This has been great. Hey, one thing we like to do um, on these episodes is spread the network, the music tectonics. 
uh, is a community and uh, it's a dis- div- diverse and dispersed community as well. So when we're, whenever we have someone like you that's at the intersection of a lot of stuff that's happening, ideas and also practical, like putting stuff into place, we love to hear about other folks we should be thinking about, talking about, spreading the word about. What are some other cool music tech companies that you're keeping an eye on? So one I recently came across is uh, Moises. So one of the reasons that uh, they intrigue me is, is the creator tool side obviously is really intriguing. There's a lot of opportunities there. SoundCloud's very involved there. But also the educational aspect of tools. Um, and it's really interesting to see STEM technology being being explored, but not just from a this is cool, let me use this, but also educationally. You got a new band member, someone's got to figure out those bass lines, right? You have another way, you're, you're a young kid trying to figure out how did somebody make this piece of music? So these, these educational potential angles of, of technology is really interesting because I personally am just really think I have two children and I'm just really interested in how they're going to engage in music. I don't want to push them on it because I don't want them to rebel against me on this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like the educational principle of tech is really intriguing to me as, as a parent and a professional and just as a, as an, as a creator myself. Yeah, Trisha and I are not the best uh, model parents when it comes to screen time because we both have kids and uh, all of our kids are learning so much stuff on, on online. And one thing that I love that you pointed out, um, Mike, was that a more educated fan is going to be a more engaged fan. And I Absolutely. feel like that's a really missed opportunity in the industry. Um, not that, I mean, there have been you know efforts for de- for decades um, from the music industry to get involved in music education. But with tech, we have so much more we can do in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Are there any other uh, music tech companies that, uh, that are on your mind uh, just to spread the network a little more? Um, not at the moment. I mean, I think... The STEM side of it is really inter- interesting, and obviously everyone's talking about AI. But I think I think thinking of the tooling that helps the creative space, so AI is a function of the creative development in the work stream. Um, there's another one that, uh, speaking at, uh, recently on, on metadata, making things simple for the creator. So Session ID, they, they, they live on top of DAWs, digital audio workstations, and, you're cap- and they're capable of basically capturing all of your metadata your your song splits and all the complicated stuff in a seamless way that that huge industry challenge of black boxes publishing royalties just all the metadata space that's also something foundationally that i'm really intrigued with who's able to actually really push and make an impact there and they're ones in particular that i that I really hope to keep keep pushing that that line. Awesome. Well, this has been an absolute blast having the time to sit down with you and and hear about everything uh, you're doing at SoundCloud, all the innovation that SoundCloud's doing. Uh, the cool thing is, uh, if all goes as planned, we'll have you at the Music Tectonics Conference. That's right. Uh, October 24th and 26th in, in Santa Monica. So if you like what you heard on the podcast, come and meet Mike at uh, Music Tectonics. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, Mike. Well, Thanks thank so you much. Thanks. This has been really fun. Awesome. It's been Mike Pelchinski from SoundCloud. And uh, check out the podcast notes for more information uh, about what else we're doing at Music Tectonics and uh, about some of the conversations we had today. As music tech people, sometimes it's hard to stay up to date on the relevant news. We're excited to announce that our curated newsletter for Music Tech News, Rock Paper Scanner, has officially gone public. Sign up to receive a weekly curated news feed of industry context, Web3 and AI, industry revenue, cool tools, and more when you sign up today. 
go to pages.rockpaperscissors.biz slash scanner. That's pages.rockpaperscissors.biz slash scanner. Or visit musictectonics.com and find this episode's blog post for a quick link. And now, back to the episode. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know we do free monthly online events that you, our lovely podcast listeners, can join? Find out more at musictectonics.com. And while you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference and sign up for our newsletter to get updates. Everything we do explores the seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. That's my favorite platform. Connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it. We'll be back again next week, if not sooner. You're listening to Music Tectonics.